You good? All right. I'll wait just a few minutes. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Good. Hey, y'all. Come on. Thank you. All right, well, good evening. Let's pray together, and we'll get started tonight with our study. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity we have to gather once again to study your word, Lord God, to discover more about who you are, to discover more about your promises, Lord God, and how Christ is the fulfillment of those promises. Help us to be mindful of the fact that those promises are yes and amen through Christ. I just pray you bless our time of study tonight. Bless these families who are here, those in our body who are homesick, so many of our church family struggling with illness now, Lord. We just pray that you just bless them, that you'd strengthen their bodies, Lord God. We ask all these things in Christ Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Hey, good evening. Thank you for coming out tonight. Um, very excited about how God providentially lined up the sermon for this morning with the study for tonight. Um, God is good, amen, and I'm grateful that He's all-knowing, because I know I'm not, <laughs> uh, absolutely not. But tonight, we're going to talk about Christ, uh, Christmas through Christ being the fulfillment of God's promises. And so, you know the Old Testament, um, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, New Testament, uh, Testament covenant, just used interchangeably. Uh, but the Old Testament covers a span of about 2,000 years of history. Now, there are no handouts. Let me just say that real quick. Some of you are looking around back there. No handouts for tonight. You can use the note sheet for this morning if you want to take notes. We're going to have uh, three big headings in this study tonight. But um, back to the introduction. The Old Testament, about 2,000 years of history. And it shows God entering into relation with His creation. He created humanity for himself, and he created us to, um, for his purposes, to bring him glory, to bring him honor, uh, and that through us, those things would be manifest, uh, that he would be glorified, exalted. And so, and that's really, that's our whole reason for existing here still, for the pleasure of God. Amen? Amen? Okay, thank you. All right. Some of you agree, um, but it's true. And so we see how he entered into that relationship. We see the covenants that God made throughout those 2,000 years of Old Testament history. And then we see also, sadly, how so many men and women in the Old Testament days died without realizing, without seeing the promises of God come true. Hebrews records some of those instances as well. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, that hall of faith chapter, hall of fame, however you want to look at it. Um, but in there, it, it tells us several times that they, they looked from afar, but they did not see. They looked from afar, but they couldn't touch all of those promises that God had made. And so um, they were waiting for that long-awaited fulfillment. And so then we get to the book of Luke, and that's a quick summary, obviously. And in the next couple Sundays, we'll be looking more at what God has done in uh, bringing Christ but look to Luke chapter 1 this evening, if you will. Luke chapter 1, and beginning at verse 26, we see this story. And I would like, if you don't mind, I want to go ahead and just start with 26 and just run into our verses. Again, our verses will be Luke 31 through 33. 31 through 33. But let's look at all of these verses here, 26 and following. The word of the Lord says this, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and a, the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at that statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. 
And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondservant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Beautiful passage we read, uh, look at most, all, uh, most every year at this time, at the Christmas season. But here in these verses, verses 31 through 33 particularly, we see three promises that the Lord makes in giving Jesus to Mary, right, to be born, in impregnating her in that miraculous birth that we're going to, in that miraculous pregnancy, we could say, and maybe virgin birth isn't the proper way for us to really understand it. Maybe it's the virgin conception that might be um, a better way to word that. But uh, it is what it is. And next week, Dr. Harbour is going to talk more about that, uh, about why it's true and why we can and should believe it and tell others about it. And so we're going to look at that. But tonight, in that, in that promise, we see three basic promises. And so I want us to look at these. So look again, if you will, at verses 31 through 33. Behold, in fact, let's just look at verse uh, 31 here. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. I want to take these verses uh, one at a time or so here of the remainder of our time tonight. But the first thing I want you to see, that first basic promise, is that Jesus came to fulfill the promise of a Savior. There's going to be three of these promises we're going to see. And then we're also going to see how in these three basic promises, all the promises of God come true. We're going to see how that is a reality. And that is what the Old Testament was pointing toward, and much of which is still to come. But we'll get there. Lord willing. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So the first promise he came to fulfill was that of a Savior. The world needed saving. And God knew from eternity past, before the creation of the world, that that would be the case. And he provided the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. We read about it in Ephesians 1. We read about it in 1 Peter chapter 1 as well. And this is what we see here told to the, uh, told to Mary here by the angel Gabriel. So you will uh, conceive in your womb, bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. So Jesus is the name that, Je that Mary was commanded to give to this child. Now you probably know what the name means, right? What does the name Jesus mean? The Lord saves, the Lord is my salvation, right? That's what, that's what we see. And so it was used uh, throughout the Old Testament era um, with the, the understanding of the word Joshua. Now, Joshua, Jesus, same name, okay? Joshua is Hebrew. Jesus, well, Joshua's English, okay? But the, the writing of it, the spelling of it in English would, would be the same name as Jesus in the Greek New Testament. But Joshua and Jesus, Joshua's Hebrew, Jesus is Greek. They both mean Yahweh saves, the Lord my Savior, and so this was a common name. In fact, um, ever since that first promise in Genesis 3.15, where the seed of the woman was going to conquer um, the seed of the serpent, Jesus, all right, this is who that was pointing toward. But ever since that first promise, the name Joshua or uh, Yeshua, uh, same pronunciation that Jesus probably was called by, uh, by many folks, Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua, all the same name. Yahweh saves, or the Lord my Savior. Amen? All the same name. So it's very popular. It might be like, um, what, what's the most popular name? I should have looked this up. This would have been, been good of me to look up on Google. And you could probably do it right now if you haven't already started. What is the most pom common male name today? All right, let me give you a second to look that up. Anybody? Anybody have it? The most common male name. I figured y'all would have it before now. You have it? Anybody? I can't hear y'all. Nobody's able to pull it up? Are y'all shy? Is the internet broken? Have we crashed the internet? Tyler, you're fast. Huh? What is the most common name? That's the most... 2022, the most popular male name was Liam. Huh. Huh? 
That shocks me. That shock, is that America or is that the world? Oh, that's socialsecurity.gov. That's official. And uh, since we're connected to the... Yep, so since we're connected to the United Nations, the One World Government, uh, that is the official record from Big Brother. Okay, now just kidding. Okay, just the United States. Used to be John Smith. That used to be the common name. And you could open up any phone book back when there used to be such a thing when we were kids, and you would see so many John Smiths. Even in Orange, back when I was a kid, there was just countless John Smiths. But that used to be the most popular name. So we have some discrepancy of what it is now. We'll maybe come back to that and let you guys at home know as well. I'm sure you're just so curious to understand this. But uh, Joshua or Jesus, that was a common name during the Old Testament time. And again, from antiquity, from the very first utterances of the promise, you began to see names related to that promise that God was going to save his people. And so it was very common. And so Mary is told to give her son this name. That probably just in and of itself would not be so earth shattering. But it's not just that she was going to name him that because it pointed to the Messiah. She was told to name him Jesus because he was the Messiah. He was the one of promise. So that is what brought Mary to praise God with that song. I know those of a more um, Catholic or Eastern, uh, Eastern Orthodox type faith may understand um, that the, those verses that give us Mary's uh, song of praise, that Magnificat, right? You may have heard it, that, and that's from more that Eastern more high churchy, Catholic kind of understanding. But, but it is that. They're not wrong. It is her Magnificat. This is tremendous song. Here's the difference. It does not point to her divinity. It points to the divinity of Jesus, the one who would save his people from their sins. And so Jesus came, promise one, to fulfill the promise of a Savior. So the promise of the Redeemer, beginning in Genesis 3.15, had been given. It's the central theme that we see throughout the Scriptures pointing to Jesus. And so then you get the New Testament writers, and what do they do but the same? They point to Jesus. Amen? Even when we get John, the apostle, uh, with the Word of God uh, that we know as the book of Revelation, um, the apocalypse, the unveiling of Jesus. That's what it is, the revelation of Jesus or the unveiling of Jesus. Even that, looking so far ahead into the future at eternity with the millennial reign of Christ when, and, and beyond from a literal throne of David, we'll talk more about here. Even looking ahead into the future, seeing that all throughout from the beginning to the end, it's, it focuses on this Redeemer either the one who's coming or the one who is with us now in the Gospels or the one from the book of Acts following, uh, the one who has come and is coming again. Amen. And thank you, Lord God, that you are coming again. I'm so grateful for that. And again, we say, Maranatha, come quickly. Amen. We want the Lord to come. In fact, there's probably a, a rub with us. I'm sure there's a part of you that wants to see grandbabies or wants to do this or wants to do that. But there's another, much larger, deeper-rooted part for those of us who are in Christ that longs to be with Jesus. Amen? And we realize that nothing compares to Jesus and, and wanting to be with Him. And so that longing, that searching, that hoping, that waiting for fulfillment, that's been with the people of God uh, for years and years and years now. So it's 2,000 years since Christ came. But again, Abraham and others, there's 2,000 years of human history looking for the Messiah, looking, waiting for um, perfection to come and to make all things right. Amen? Longing for that day. As good as a good day can be here, it's still nothing compared to what it's going to be like in glory with Jesus. And again, let me just remind you, we're not going to be floating on clouds and white robes playing harps, right, with sandals. Yeah, you've got to have the sandals too. Uh, it's not going to be anything like that. We're, we're going to inhabit a new earth, a new heavens, and a new Jerusalem, and, and all of creation will be ours. And so we will inhabit an earth, a renewed earth. We'll inhabit uh, perhaps uh, some aspect of the heavens, but uh, it's anyone's guess, but we will never bore and never tire. We're not going to be waiting for the next Xbox release, right? We're going to be waiting for the next PS, whatever it's going to be at that point. Five now, is that right? We were just talking about this yesterday, I think, with Rusty, but whatever the PS latest model is, 
Five? All right, it's five. It doesn't matter what latest one that's going to be out. In glory, all that's going to matter is Christ. Amen? That's going to be a good day. And Christmas is about that. Christmas is absolutely about that. So the people were groaning. Creation itself was groaning and is still groaning. And so God's people are looking. They fall into sin repeatedly, we know. But throughout the Old Testament in those captivity days, we see while they were in exile, they were still believing God, still believing His promise. And it's interesting that they believe for so long and we have so many people today that still scoff at the ideal of Christ coming back because surely things are horrible. Surely when they legalize this and that and when this bad thing happens, surely Christ would intervene and come back. And they scoff at him. But we know that the Lord is coming back because he said so. And just like Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, even David, just like these and so many others, we believe God and we know that he'll come again. And so we long for that day. But he still hadn't come the first time at the time of the exile. They were still looking for the Savior, still looking for the Redeemer, the one who would come and deliver them from captivity. And so while they were in exile, God's promise could not be fulfilled, but the Lord promised a new twist, a new covenant. He upped the promise and added a little more detail. And so, though the Israelites' circumstances during those days were dire, and though they had been unfaithful to God, though their sins were as scarlet, we read in the Old Testament, the Lord made this new covenant with them. He forgave them, He rescued them, promising that He would still be their Savior. And so when Mary said then, or rather when Mary was told to give the name Jesus to the Son, surely she begins to see, and surely, as we read about in her response, she is understanding the heaviness, the weightiness, the majesty of what was happening. Now, she may not have understood it fully, and I'm sure she looked upon the cross. It probably did not all make sense to her in those moments when her son who was miraculously born, gave his life to pay for our sins. But she did come to understand fully. There was no doubt and no waver. She understood the promise. And so through all of that longing, all of that groaning, the name Jesus is given, not because God is salvation, even though he is, but because Jesus was salvation. God in the flesh. It's not pointing to the Messiah who's coming. It is, this is Jesus, the Messiah, who is here. So God comes near, and Mary gets to see that. Mary gets to uh, be blessed and give birth to the God-man. He was always God, amen? Amen? <laughs> and he became man. He added to himself. I love this, Alistair Begg, I was listening this past week. He said, there was a time when Jesus was God but not man, but there was never a time when he was man but not God. And how true is that? That is so seemingly simple, but it is so amazingly true. This is our God, amen? And I was reminded listening to that and these past few weeks just studying that, you know, there would be no, ma no cross, excuse me, without a manger. There'd be no cross without a manger. And so many people in our churches today um, despise those of us who still talk about the birth of Christ and celebrate Christmas. Oh, it's a pagan holiday. False. It's been thoroughly debunked. Thoroughly debunked. It's not a pagan holiday. Just because elements historically got added in from paganism does not make Christmas pagan. Amen? Christmas is about the birth of Christ. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us to celebrate the birth of Christ. That's right. And it doesn't tell us to drive a car. That's a bad analogy, maybe. But we still drive cars. We can still celebrate the birth of Christ. There's nothing satanic, demonic, or otherwise. Uh, it, it's, it's, there's nothing evil like that about celebrating the birth of Christ. In fact, much of the Bible screams about the birth of Christ, does it not? It screams, and, and again, just there's no cross without the cradle, without the manger. There would be no cross. And so the birth of Christ is important, and it's true. He didn't tell us to celebrate it, but he didn't tell us not to either. So we like to talk about this because it's important, amen? It's important to the whole story, important to the whole story. 
And so uh, we're going to continue here tonight. May, um, um, Israel, Israel, secondly, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. I got, I got distracted. I've noticed something that I've never noticed before. Lily helped me to see something I've never seen before. Do you know you can see yourself in the bottom of that big fan? And so if you've never noticed, I see myself in it, and I've never noticed that before. So thank you, Lily. In fact, I can see y'all. Y'all wave to me. Look, I can see you waving to me right now. Hello. All right. So that was interesting. Thank you. Here's the second thing. First of all, remember, he came to fulfill the promise of a savior. Secondly, Jesus came to fulfill the promise of a king. So continue reading there. Behold, let's look at 31. Behold, you will, be, uh, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. 32. He, Jesus, will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now let's stop there. So he came to fulfill the promise of a king. He would be called the Son of the Most High. He would be great, and the Lord will give him the Father will give the Son the, the, the throne of his forefather, David. It's another way we could look at that. So one of the, one of the misconceptions some folks have today about um, Israel and their wanting a king, in fact, um, don't, don't raise your hand, but just answer this in, in, in your own head here. Was it bad that Israel wanted a king? Some of y'all answered out loud anyway. And it was in the bulletin. Just kidding. All right. It wasn't in the bulletin. I shut Tyler down this morning because I said, no, that's in the bulletin too. And it wasn't. So I apologize. It's in the newsletter. I had to look. Like, I know I just read that somewhere. It was the newsletter where I read it. Um, but anyway, um, it wasn't wrong that Israel wanted a king. God had, had foreknown that they would want a king. And God had provided an instruction about the kind of king they wanted. The problem was they wanted the wrong kind of king. That was the problem. God had promised Abraham all the way back to Abraham. He had promised that his offspring would include a dynasty of kings. You even see in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord, again, anticipating Israel would yearn for a human king. He gave them specific directions about how to install a king that would conform to holiness and to the decrees of God. And yet that was the problem that they had. That was where they fell short. His, in his purpose and in his promise to Abraham, he had established that a king would reign over Israel. And most, most churches believe that and understand that. The problem is that most of them don't believe in the millennial reign of Christ. They don't take it literally that there's going to be a literal throne and a literal Jesus on that literal throne as an ancestor of David forever. And so that's where the rub comes down. That's where a lot of different eschatologies begin to divide like all-millennial, post-millennial, or the right one. Pre, I'm just kidding, or, or pre-millennial, uh, which it is the right one in my humble estimation. But, but this is where we kind of divide. Yes, everyone believes Jesus is king, but is he reigning now? Is he reigning in the way now that he even um, orchestrated in eternity past? He kind of boxed himself in in a huge way. If you look at all of the things that had to come true of Jesus to literally sit on that throne. And so... Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but is he sitting in full fulfillment of the scriptures that have been given to us that describe how he will reign and from where? And the answer is no. The answer is no. And so there are some varying ideals to this, but let's look because it's important to understand that Israel wanted a king. They wanted the wrong kind of king, but God was okay with their having a king, had foreseen that they would want a king, had prescribed the kind of king that they should have, that they should long for, and had even declared and uh, preordained, if you will, that he would be the king that they were looking for. And it's all orchestrated by God. But they were wanting the wrong kind of king. Samuel warned them. Um, they ignored the warning. And just like Samuel had said, because the Lord had told Samuel that they were going to want a leader just like the other nations, and then just like the other nations, they would be led into sin. And that's exactly what happened. And so they asked for Saul. And we know that, um, that sad um, passage about Saul where it says that the Lord's spirit departed from him. Um, what a horrible thing. And so God removed his hand of blessing from Saul, uh, and he placed his anointing upon a young shepherd boy named David. Now, David wasn't perfect either, uh, but David had a heart after the Lord. 
And so you, you remember the famous verse, right? The Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so God had promised then David that after his death, one of his offspring would be raised up to inherit his throne, David's throne, forever. Now, the rub is that currently there's no temple, there's no throne, right? There's none of those things, uh, neither of those things, rather, uh, but there's no descendant of David ruling from Jerusalem currently. So, God's promise has been broken, it would seem. And so Israel longs in disbelief, waiting still for the Messiah. But the Lord came. He rejected His offer of the kingdom because Israel rejected Him at His first coming. But He promised still, He reiterated that promise that He would bring the kingdom. And so even though the Lord reigns over everything, every, every molecule right now, right, uh, He will literally and actually in fulfillment and in power reign the way the Scriptures have described. So let's look at a few passages that talk about such things. Turn to 2 Samuel. So if you're in Luke, you need to go left to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, 2 Samuel falls after 1 Samuel. That one's easy. But um, what's before that? Ruth, I think. You got jo Joshua and Judges kind of right before that. And so if you get to Kings, go left a little more. 2 Samuel is right there. I think it's between 1 Samuel and 1 Kings. No, it is. Okay. That was kind of a preacher joke, but yes, that's where it's at. It's right before half Samuel. Half Samuel. Okay. So look at chapter 7, and there's so much of this I would love to read tonight, but uh, we're just going to pick out a few verses to highlight. Verse 11 says, even from the day that this is, um, um, David had, had makes this proposal to God. God makes this um, promise to David uh, here. And so in verse 11, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies, the Lord, that's Yahweh, also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your forefathers, or excuse me, with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. Let's keep reading. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul whom I removed from before you. That's what the Lord tells David. He says then, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and all the visions. So Nathan spoke to David. What an awesome passage that describes this very ideal of the kingdom. And so from that time of exile, moving forward, they, and, then, and then we see with Mary giving birth to Jesus, all of this comes to a head. They begin to understand that here is the promise of God. Here is the promise that was given to the prophet Samuel. But notice what it says. Let's, let's focus on a few words that I think are significant. Look at verse 13. Look at this word. There's one word. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. What's that last word? Forever. It is a kingdom that will have no end. Now again, have we experienced that yet? The answer is no, absolutely not. There is not a king on the throne of David currently. There's not. And there's a big problem because uh, Israel is not in all of her land. There's still much more land that belongs to her that the Lord had promised, that He had given to them, and yet they did not maintain their end of the bargain. They did not maintain holiness, nor did they remove all of their enemies from those areas that the Lord had given them. Uh, some people think that the land promise was fulfilled. And in one sense, yes, it was fulfilled because the Lord gave it to all of them, but they did not take all of the land. And that was the part they were supposed to do. So it had been given by God. They were at peace. Their enemies had been subdued, but their enemies had not been finished. They had not been finished. And if you look where the Gaza area is now and in the Golan Heights right now, those areas are areas that, that, af that David and those after him failed to remove all of Israel's enemies. Those areas, they still to this day uh, are battling, still to this day. And so um, 
yes, all the land was given to them, but no, they never owned, they never occupied, they never controlled, if you will, all of the land. And so that has to still happen. They have to do that. And there has to be a king on the throne, literally ruling from Jerusalem. And so when that does come to fruition, it will be unending. There'll never be a day that'll go by where Jesus will be dethroned. Isn't that awesome? And we know that on some level, but to be reminded of it and to see the connection with Christmas. This is why I love Christmas, because all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus, in Christ, amen? And so it's important. So they wanted a king. David had been um, told and it had been prophesied that his descendant in 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 16, his descendant would sit upon that throne. You also see in uh, 1 Chronicles 17, verses 11 through 15. Let's look at those. If you're in 2 Samuel, just go to your right a little bit, all right? Kings and Chronicles. So look at 1 Chronicles 17, verses 11 through 15. All of these promises are connected. 11 through 15. It shall come about when your days are fulfilled that you must go, be with your, go to be with your fathers. That I will set up one of your descendants after you who shall be of your sons and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build for me a house and I shall establish his throne. Note, forever. There's going to be a throne forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. And I will not take my loving kindness away from him as I took it away from him who was before you. That's referencing to Saul again. But I will settle him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. Note the repetitive word forever. According to all these words and according to all of this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. And then it goes on, David begins to move forward. But the promise was that it was going to happen and it would be forever. And so they had been reminded of this during the exile days even. Look at, um, look at Psalm 16. Just thought about something here. Look at Psalm 16. David is the author. It's a, a mictum of David. Now, let's look. Can we read all 11 verses? Would that be okay with you guys? It's short. But I want you to see and just think about what was on David's mind as he penned this. Now, I know this, that is not a thus saith the Lord thing, but I want you to note. That's what I'm trying to say. Just in light of the promises of the throne and how it would last forever, just think about David writing this psalm now. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no God, no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered uh, for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor shall I take their names upon my lips. The Lord or Yahweh is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord. I will bless Yahweh who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set Yahweh continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will also dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Neither will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. This is prophesying about who? Who? Jesus, the Messiah. He, would, he was going to be crucified. He was going to be killed, but he would not be abandoned to Sheol, to the grave, nor would his body undergo decay in the, in the earth. He says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I love that verse. I've used that. I think I've mentioned couple months back, I've used that verse at a number of funeral and memorial services. Uh, it's, it just speaks of being consumed by God. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is a fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Shouldn't that describe our life? Amen? I mean, that should excite us more than anything else. And Christmas is a time for us to be reminded of that. The wonder, not of trying to find the presence that your mom hid in her closet at the very top, you know, or wherever it might have been, for instance, 
not from experience at all, Mother, right? But just for instance, Christmas shouldn't be just about uh, all of the iced cookies, right? With, you know, with de- decorated like trees or candy canes or stars or whatever it might be. As good as that is, right, David? It's not just to think about all those things, not to be excited about the presence even under the tree. It's about remembering Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one that God had promised that would deal with sin forever. Amen? The one by which we can be saved. And so, yes, he makes known to us the path of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. In his presence is a fullness of joy. There is none like him. Nothing can compare. In his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Better than Tillamook ice cream, even, David. That's good. He's good. The Lord is good. That's why the psalmist says, taste and know that the Lord is good. But in that 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 16, and in 1 Chronicles 17, 11 through 15, we see a few things that, that the Messiah would be the Son of God. There was a descendant of David who would sit on the throne and he would be the Son of God. He would build a house for God's name. Yes, that has happened historically, but not for eternity, which means there will still be another. Amen? There's another temple that must be built. And so it would be built and that Jesus or this offspring would reign forever from that place, that throne of his forefather David in Jerusalem. And so we see a, a reutterance and an expansion of those promises given to us, again, with more detail, with more, with more certainty in 2 Samuel 7 and in 1 Chronicles 7. And so again, it just screams to us that, hey, God means business and we can trust him. He's been faithful in the past, we know, because of the birth of Christ, so we can believe also he'll be faithful in the future. Look at Acts. Look at the book of Acts. Let me get a bookmark here. Look at um, Acts chapter 2. John, Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 30. Yes, verse 30. This is Peter preaching that famous sermon on the day of Pentecost. There were Jewish believers from uh, all over the um, Eastern world at that time. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, other places, Rome, and and other places as well. We read about that in uh, chapter uh, 2, the beginning verses there. But in the midst of this sermon, speaking of Jesus, look what Peter says, verse 30. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him... Now, he's talking about David, so let's go ahead and back up to 29. This will help. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, the Jews loved David. They weren't wild about Jesus, remember. They loved David. So he says, about the park, the, regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet, meaning David was a prophet, and knew that God had sworn to him an oath to seat no one, or, oh, excuse me, to seat one of. I've got old glasses on. I thought I'm, they may be good, but maybe I can't see as, these, these words as good as I thought I could. Um, So he had sworn to David that God, God had sworn to David with an oath to see one of his descendants on his throne. And so he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ. He goes on. But what, what Peter is referring to here with David are those passages that we just read in 2 Samuel and in 1 Chronicles. In those chapters is that David's offspring again. And so Mary is told to give this baby the name Jesus back in Luke chapter 1 again. Excuse me. Yeah, chapter 1. Let me get there again. And so all of these truths are coming to a head in the birth of this one who who was not just pointing to the Messiah, but who would be the Messiah. Uh, Psalm 132 almost forgot. Psalm 132. I can't let this one go either, especially look at verse 10 and following. Psalm 132. The psalm of ascents. He says, verse 10, for the sake of David, your servant, do not turn away the face of your anointed, 
Yahweh has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body I will set upon your throne. Do you know that? The Lord had told David that your fruit would sit upon your throne. David's offspring on David's throne forever. And your sons, if your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I will teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. Then he goes on. The Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. That's what is Zion. What is Zion? The holy city. What is the holy city? Jerusalem. Zion, Jerusalem, the holy city. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place. What's the next word? Forever. Has this happened yet? Has it started? No. I mean, in some ways, I guess we could say it started because it was prophesied. But Jesus is not literally sitting on this throne at this point. But it will happen, amen? And this is where some in Christianity disagree. Some say he is ruling symbolically from heaven right now. But that is not what the scriptures tell us. It says he will sit on David's throne in Jerusalem, on your descendant's throne in Zion, not in the, hev- not in the heavens or the heavenlies. He says, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her needy with bread. Her priest also I will clothe with salvation, and her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. There I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. I have prepared a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall shine. Beautiful passage pointing to the future Jesus who will sit on that glorious throne forever and ever. Amen. So Psalm 16, Psalm 132, Zechariah, um, 2 Samuel, excuse me, 2 Samuel 7 verses 11 through 16, and then 1 Chronicles 17, 11 through 15, all pointing to what was going to happen with Jesus, what is going to happen with Jesus. Acts 2, 30, Peter preached about it, and we see its reality, especially in that Psalm 132, verses 11 through 14. So finally, what do we see? Jesus was to be what? The promise of a Savior. He was to secondly fulfill the promise of a king. And then finally, Jesus is to fulfill God's promise of a kingdom that would not end. So we noted, and I emphasize ever so slightly the word forever, over and over and over again, right? And so it's to be forever. And so we see that in places like Psalm 89. Look at Psalm 89. And and, and let me just say, I have been blessed this past month um, preaching from the Psalms and studying. Uh, I hope that you've been blessed being a part of those. Um, Even um, Josh even getting to finish Psalm 27. Um, that's just, it's just been a blessing to get, get to do that. I love the book of Psalms. I'm looking forward to, I think, January 20, 21st. Uh, we're going to start through Psalm 119. And I think we're going to take 10 weeks, and I think we'll be able to make it all the way through. Um, no promises, but that's the plan. I think we can do it in 10 weeks because a couple of the letters we're going to actually combine. Um, but you'll, you'll understand more when we get there. Um, so where did I just say to go? Psalm 89, yes, Psalm 89. Look at verses 3 and 4. This is a royal psalm. So verses 3 and 4, he says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your seed. What's the word? Forever. And build up your throne to all generations. He goes on um, in, in verse, uh, look at verse 13. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Look at verse 34. Yeah, verse 34. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, and the uh, whiteness in the sky is faithful. I'm sorry, the witness in the sky is faithful. Selah. So here's a promise of God, a promise from God, a covenant that he says, I, he declares, I will not violate. I will not alter 
the utterance, not one word that I have spoken. I will not lie to David. This rule will be forever. We see it again in 2 Samuel. If you look in 2 Samuel 23 this time, 2 Samuel 23. Yes, 2 Samuel is a pretty lengthy book. 2 Samuel 23, look at verse 5. These are recording the last words of David in his passing. But look at verse 5. Truly is not my house so with God, for he has made an everlasting covenant with me, ordered in all things and secured for all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not indeed make it grow? So David understood that God had promised to do something with his seed, ruling from his throne for how long? For eternity. This was an everlasting covenant, and David understands that. Now, yes, there were precursors. They had to do stuff in order to, to make it happen. But it doesn't say that God's going to renege on his promise. There's nothing that says that. It was put off, but it's not put away. Amen? It's going to happen when Jesus returns, when Jesus sits upon the throne. There are numerous other passages, but look at Luke 1, We'll bring this home here. Luke 133. What do we see in this passage? It says, He will reign, Jesus, the Son of God, this one who is great, the Most High, the Son of the Most High. It says, The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. There's that word again, forever. And his kingdom will have no end. The kingdom on the earth was interrupted. The king was rejected at his first coming by Israel. But that does not negate the promise. It's going to happen. Amen? Is Jesus king of kings and lord of lords now? Yes. But will he reign literally from the throne of his forefather David? On his mother's and his father's side, if you will. His genealogy can be traced back. Even though Joseph wasn't his biological father, he was still his legal father by way of adoption. But it's going to be fulfilled, again, because as we read in um, 2 Corinthians 1.20, as many as are the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Meaning Jesus, his yes and amen. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of, of a deliverer. When the Jews were in captivity, they would sing, my deliverer is coming. Something reminded me this morning um, in Psalm 98. Uh, there's a Shane and Shane song that comes from that psalm, um, but it reminded me of an old Rich Mullen song too. So I was on a Rich Mullen kick this afternoon uh, in the car on the way up here. Um, but just um, looking at this, this Lord, the promises of God are yes and amen. One of his songs mentions that is why I, I, I thought about that again. But we're, we're, we, we see that in Jesus what, what, where is the promise of God? It's in Jesus. Where is the fulfillment? It's in Jesus. Amen? And so we pray again, come quickly, Lord. Come redeem us. He's already fulfilled the promise of salvation. He is king now, but he is not ruling and reigning literally the way the scriptures have portrayed. He has not literally um, sat upon that throne yet. Not yet, but he will come again, and every eye will behold him when he returns. I, I can't help but think of Revelation. I think it's 11, is it 11, 15, 11, 5? Let's see here. <clears throat> it's 11, 15. The seventh trumpet, the seventh angel, it says, sounded, and there, was a loud, there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. What is Christ? Messiah. Who's the Messiah? Jesus. Christ is not his last name, right? Uh, it's not a curse word either, um, but Christ is his title. He's the Messiah. Uh, Christ and Messiah both mean anointed one, remember. Messiah is Hebrew, like Yeshua, Hamashiach. So Messiah is the word Mashiach. Uh, so he's our Redeemer. So Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Christ. That's what we're saying when we say those words. So it says, the seventh angel sounded. There were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And his reign, he will reign forever and ever. And all God's people say, amen. So he will reign forever. But just note, please, just for emphasis, I have to address this because it disturbs me that people think 
this is the millennial kingdom now. Folks, if this is the millennial kingdom now, the scriptures oversell heaven. The scriptures oversell the reign of Christ if this is the kingdom now, does it not? But just note that it says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. During the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, when Jesus returns, his second coming, he will smite his enemies, the Bible tells us. You can read about that in Revelation chapter uh, 19, the second coming. Uh, the sword, the two-edged sword coming from his mouth, the word of the Lord. Uh, I, I, oh, just read Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. And just be, can we read it? We've got time. Let's read it now. Revelation 19. This is going to be that scene when Jesus returns, when that kingdom becomes his, literally. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. What is it? We don't know. Good answer. All right. So he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And all God's people say... Amen. One day he's coming and all his enemies will be put down. And he will reign forever and ever. And we will be with him. Amen. We'll be with him. And we'll be, I think we'll be those saints on white horses. There'll be angelic forces and the redeemed will be coming back on white horses. And I don't care if it's a Clydesdale or a Shetland pony, as I told you before, we're still going to be with Jesus. And that's all that matters. Amen. And we'll be with him forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what Christmas points to. We thank you what Christmas fulfills in Christ. We thank you for our Savior, for um, uh, our King, and Lord, for the kingdom that will have no end. And so again, we pray, Lord, come quickly. Thank you for Jesus, our Redeemer, who came the first time. And I pray that we would continue to believe upon Him for salvation and for holiness, that we would not just be made right and get out of hell, but Lord, we would be saved and we would be sanctified. We'd be continually redeemed and made more like Christ, that we would put off the deeds of darkness and we would put on those of the truth, Lord God, those of the Spirit, that we would walk in holiness before you. So Father, as we celebrate Christmas this season, once again, may we be grateful for King Jesus, our Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for um, your presence here tonight.